Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today we're here with Mark Barbash. Mark has been in economic development for more than 30 years, serving at the local, state, and federal levels. He currently leads the Ohio Economic Development Institute, is a teacher at the Ohio State University and Ohio University, and does occasional consulting. Mark, welcome to the show. I'm real pleased to be here. I'm a big fan of your uh, podcast and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Well, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show today. You've been in the industry for 30 years, which I would imagine is older than some of the people in the industry today. Well, I think that's probably true. And ergo, one of the challenges that I'm spending a lot of time on, which is how to improve the profession, bring young people into the profession and grow the profession for the future. But yeah, I've been in economic development one way or the other, actually since 1981, uh, when I went to work for a uh, congressman from Wisconsin, Les Aspen, who's a large part of my responsibility was helping local organizations get funding for their community development projects. So let's talk about growing the profession and bringing more young people in. First off, why do you see the need for that? Is I mean, I look around and you know every economic development job that is available gets filled. Do we need more people in the profession or what's happening? I think I, well, I, a couple of things are happening. Some of them are, are I think, obvious, and some of them uh, we've uncovered from our training work. We're clearly going through a generational change. We're going through a generational change in the leadership of our economic development organizations, and we're going through a generational change in the frontline staff who work in this field. And the challenge that I think we are all facing is that the industry is moving so fast and programs are changing and the market is changing that if we're going to be truly effective for our communities, we need to be able to understand everything that's going on and bring new voices into this profession, not just those who come up from within an economic development organization, but from a variety of fields. So in your opinion, how do we do that? How do we make that that easier? Well, it's it's a challenge. I mean, one of the challenges that, that we face, certainly here in Ohio, and I suspect other areas face, is that for a long time, economic development was not actually perceived of as a profession. You would get to economic development from a whole range of other locations, but not from having decided that you want to be a professional economic or community developer. So the first thing that we have to do and we are doing here is forging partnerships with both public and private colleges and universities, getting them to understand the importance of this field. The second thing is that we need to have systems that in fact train new folks on new programs, number one, and number two, get the folks who have been in the profession, for example, as long as I have to serve as mentors to the folks who are coming into the profession. I started I started in economic development with a really important mentor, a guy named Bob Davenport, who was with the National Development Council. Uh, and I've tried to carry that on as I've been in the profession for a long time. You've said a number of interesting points, but let's let's talk about the, the mentorship aspect. 
you have an experienced economic developer that's been in the industry for a long time. What what information do they need to distribute to their mentees? What what is it that needs to be passed on? I think there are a couple of things. I think the first one is just the the atmosphere of being an economic developer. Being an economic developer requires that you be flexible, that you have a tolerance for ambiguity, which should be in the job description for any economic developer is the tolerance for ambiguity. And the ability to look at a set of facts and a set of data and make an informed decision as to which direction you want to go in. So one of them is 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 kind of what is it like to be in this profession? The second one is the connections. The connections are really important, particularly for young economic developers, to get them in the doors of folks who can help their career and who can help their their organization. And then the third, I think, is to help the young economic developer take advantage of the opportunities from groups like IEDC, with your efforts, from Council of Development Finance Agencies, CDC associations, you name it. And actually, there's a fourth, I think. And the fourth is to try to enlist a sense that economic development is not just about attraction. It is not just about business retention. It's about all of those things, including the importance of place and the importance of uh, cultural and uh, and, uh, and arts uh, aspect, aspects of a community. You're describing all these different aspects. And most people that I talk to that are in economic development that are relatively young or honestly of any age came into economic development by accident. They were doing something and they somehow ended up discovering economic development and realized that they loved it and then they jumped in. You talk about wanting economic development to be more of a profession and be more well-known. What would that entail in your mind? Uh, I think it entails a couple of things. The first one is what we're doing, what I'm doing here in Ohio with the Ohio Economic Development Institute, which is to develop a set of skill sets that every economic developer has has to understand. That's the first piece. I think strengthening the work that IEDC and EDI are doing to kind of keep their curriculums up to date. I think the second part of it is to bring universities and colleges into this discussion so that as students are coming from high school into college, they see examples of people who are in economic development. So part of it is making the connections. And then I think the third is to look beyond kind of the traditional sources of potential professionals to folks who who may not consider economic development to be a profession, but see that they want to help their community. One of the things I've discovered over the years is that the technology and the programs, those are learned skills. You can learn those through training. You can learn those through uh, going to school. You can learn those from manuals and books. What is the most impo- the biggest asset of an economic developer is the attitude that, number one, you can make change, and number two, the details matter. That makes sense. And then also, like you said, that you can work with ambiguity because that's such a huge part of this. Oh, it really is. I mean, I've worked for I've worked for mayors, I've worked for US senators, I've worked for congressmen, I've worked for governors. Uh, and things can change at the moment at a moment's notice. And so being comfortable with that fact is an important part of getting things done. I think another aspect is to be uh, what's the right word? self-critical. It's really important, I think, to be comfortable with going back and saying, well, we did this wrong. Why did we do it wrong? What could we change going forward? 
Sure. You also mentioned a number of elected officials. Is that an insurmountable problem or a challenge to the industry in that, you know, we work for fickle elected officials and at the end of the day, you know, whether we succeed or fail is sometimes not so much up to us, but up to the electorate. I don't think it's insurmountable. In fact, I think what what I've discovered in my career over time is that elected officials want what we want in economic development, and that is to to grow their communities. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that come with it. There's the politics, and particularly now the uh, the uh, the conflict that's going on. But in the end, they want two things. Number one, they want to uh, get elected, and number two, they want to help their community. And anything that helps their community helps them get elected. The other thing that I found, I mean, there are lots of old stories about, you know, when the site selector comes in, for God's sake, don't have your mayor in the room. That's not the right answer. The right answer is educate your mayor on the site selection process so that they play the important role. I will tell you that in the case of uh, Ohio's being successful in attracting uh, intel, uh, the role that the governor played, the role that the lieutenant governor played, and the, the role that the head of Jobs Ohio, which is our ex- statewide economic development organization, was absolutely critical to the success. The economic developers did their job. The elected officials did their job. And the, the confidentiality was matter, maintained all the way up to the announcement. Now, every deal is not an intel deal, and I think that's part of the, the thing we need to be careful about. As we've been coming out of COVID, we're finding that people expected that the big deals would go away. Well, in Ohio, we're finding that the big deals are not going away. But what hasn't changed is the fact that a big deal has a ripple effect in the, in the local economy that involves colleges and smaller businesses and the service industry uh, and technology industry. So there's still this connection with the local and the statewide economy. But interestingly enough, I mean, frankly, when, when COVID started, we assumed that, that business would slow down. Uh, I can tell you in Ohio, talking with each of our eight regional economic development organizations, each of our six regional economic development organizations, they're as busy as they've ever been. So you lead the Ohio Economic Development Institute. So what is that and what do you do there? The Institute is the professional development program for economic developers in Ohio. We're supported by the membership. We're affiliated with the Ohio Economic Development Association. We're supported by the association. We are supported by Jobs Ohio. We are supported by a variety of sponsors. And what OEDI does is provide a curriculum of Ohio-centric training that in key skills and then elective courses in a variety of individual skills in particular fields. And then we have a certification program that for those folks who would like to go on and get certified, uh, take some additional courses, some additional projects. The certification program has been in existence for three years now. We've just certified our 58th professional economic developer. Uh, and all we do is Im- hopefully improve the, the health of local communities. What we want is our economic developers to spread around the state and around the country. What we do with EDI is what IEDC does at the national level. Our course is entirely Ohio-focused. So we're focused in on Ohio economy, Ohio programs, Ohio communities, the state of Ohio. We're doing for Ohio what IEDC does so well uh, in, uh, nationally and internationally. So obviously you see a gap in what the IEDC does 
at the national level. So should every state do this? Is this something that's that's needed just to really drill down on the local sort of issues? I don't I don't know that I'd call it a gap. I mean, I want to be perfectly clear. I'm a big supporter of IEDC. I served on their board for a number of years. What what we've learned, though, is that strong professional development makes a better economic developer uh, and that most economic development is local and state. Most of it's local. And so people in Ohio have specific laws and programs. You want to do a TIF in Ohio, it's going to be a little different than you're doing a TIF in Wisconsin or Illinois or someplace else. We have special programs out of our economic development partners. So what we try to do is get to the practical aspect of the job of being an economic and a community developer. So national, I think, is important. States are important. I can tell you I've talked to to folks uh, around the country who are kind of looking at what we're doing and saying, is that something we ought to be doing? The other thing that we do is, like many, many states, we we sponsor the basic economic development course, which is kind of the intro course for anyone who wants to get into the profession. So I think it's a gap in this in the sense that economic, all economic development is local, and that those kinds of local skills become very important. So you said the Ohio certification is about three years old, and you have 58. Um, right certified. Is this training and the certification, is all this, is, is all of this relatively new in the last 20 years? Or how did it work before that? that that's a really interesting question. Uh, and and historically, in the history of economic development, uh, we know that it, it started with the utilities. I mean, if you go way, by, way back, uh, it was uh, the utilities who were our economic development professionals. When it grew into the public and nonprofit sector economic development, we saw a variety of efforts. There are a number of universities who are around the country who have created economic development programs. Uh, For example, Cleveland State University has an urban development program that could grow into a bigger economic development. And so over the years, what you've had is, is, is training on a situational basis. Then IEDC expanded its professional development and then the universities got into the business, and now it's kind of a blend. We partner our program with Ohio University. We have an educational partner who helps us make sure that the curriculum is uh, is uh, tight and disciplined and that we have a way of measuring performance. What it's going to be like the next 10 years, I don't know. All I know is is that from our experience, the economic development professional is getting younger every day, which I think is a good thing, and that they need to have the skills because the atmospheres are atmospherics are changing with regards to politics, economics, and the programs. So you find a blend. You find a number of universities who are collaborating together on a pro, on on programs, particularly in others, a number of southern universities are starting to collaborate together. So this transition from the baby boomers retiring and leaving the profession. Is this something new or did a transition like this take place in economic development before? Well, it's new in the context that modern economic development really kind of started to grow up uh, as around the time of, of the Great Society and you started to see the development of organizations at the local level who were in the economic development field. So we've had this natural period of 30 or 40 years. So I'm sure, and, and so I got I got into the profession, uh, give or take, uh, in 1981. Uh, and so 
I was I was young at that time, and so it's now 2022, so that's 40 years. I'm sure that there was some kind of transition, but part of the dynamic is it was enhanced by an increasing federal role. The, the role of the Economic Development Administration, for example, is really not that old. Uh, for many, many years, uh, uh, EDA was, was a second cousin in economic development, and now with the stimulus programs that are out there, they're playing a major role, which I think is a good thing. Uh, same thing about the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And the other thing that's happening as a result of all these changes going on in the economy is the economic developer's perception of the important issues is starting to change. For example, 30 years ago when we talked workforce in economic development, it was seen as assisting people who have the least skills to get basic skills. In workforce development, we're now talking about skill sets. We're now talking about career ladders. We're talking about cluster strategies. We're talking about all these kinds of things that are very different from 30 years ago. Same thing is going on in housing right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've got a major conference coming in October 3rd where we're bringing together economic developers, planners, and housing advocates and finance people to talk about the importance of affordable housing and a breadth of housing opportunities to economic development. 30 years ago, maybe even less, when you said housing to an economic developer, their vision was subsidized affordable housing through Section 8 programs. Right now, the term has evolved to call it workforce housing, but we're finding that employers are having difficulty recruiting because there are not local housing opportunities or a breadth of housing opportunities. These things evolve over time. The profession has to keep keep evolving and the the professional development, the training programs have to keep evolving as well. I'm not sense. sure I answered your question. I think I went off on a 45 degree tangent here. No, that's what we like. Which, we like tangents. Which I, which I am want to do. You know, that's one of the <laughs> things you mentioned. I, I do teach at, uh, at the Ohio State University uh, in the John Glenn College. And I, my focus is public budgeting and public finance. Uh, and the great thing right now about this crop of students is they love to go off onto tangents. They love to take what we say and say, yeah, well, what about? Uh, and that's great fun. But we're going to need to kind of be where the next generation is going to be. Well, since you mentioned tangents, let's go off on a little tangent just for a second. Love it. Um, sometimes people outside of economic development don't even understand why we exist. They say, the argument is, aren't we just moving the chips around, moving them from one city to another city, from one state to another state? If we didn't exist, if this profession didn't exist, wouldn't everything just sort itself out naturally? Well... First of all, you and I would be out of a job, but that's an, an entire, entirely different question. That's an important question, and it comes back to the question of what do we want our country, state, communities to be? The market drives 90 to 95% of all economic activity, but it's an imperfect market. It is an imperfect market for women, African-Americans, Hispanics, people who live in central cities. It's an imperfect market for those who've not yet had an opportunity to get the job skills. It's an imperfect market for central cities where we've seen historically, we saw a lot of flight from central cities. And because of the activity of economic developers and community developers and political leaders, 
we're starting to see folks come back into the central city, which is a logical thing to do from the perspective of growth, because you already have the infrastructure and you can make better use of the infrastructure. So part of the dynamic is if you let the market operate without some level of I'll call it intervention, that's a kind of a jargon word, but without some level of involvement, then the market will work, but it will not work for everybody. And I think one of the things that's becoming really clear is that, yes, we have a workforce challenge. One of our workforce challenges is we have a whole bundle of folks who've not had the opportunity to get the training and the skill set, who if they were brought into the market, they could provide the skill sets to help businesses continue to grow. And there are a lot of businesses who are starting to recognize that. But your question is 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 the first question, why should we exist? And I think the the, the for me the short answer is to make for a, a, a better community, a stronger community, and a more equitable community. That makes that makes sense. And that's I I hope that that gives everybody listening some some kind of answer to give when that question comes up because well, it does and, come up. Yeah, it does come up and typically it comes up in the extreme. We hear it in the extreme. Why are you recruiting a business to compete with me? Uh, why are you bringing in a big business that is going to steal workers from from my business to go work for them because they're getting paid more? All of those things are absolutely true. That doesn't mean you don't try to grow the economy. That means that, for example, the be- the best Attraction strategy is a strong business retention strategy because most attraction takes place because of an existing relationship or an existing asset. Certainly in the, in the case of Intel, again, our, uh, our, our uh, star project at the moment, they came to Central Ohio because they saw the ability of the Ohio State University and other colleges to produce engineers. Good perspective. I have the luxury of having a good perspective because I've been in the profession for so long. I also have the luxury of not having to work for an elected officials now so that what I say doesn't make any difference to a politician. <laughs> That's good. You mentioned you had some stories of examples of good ideas that didn't work in practice. I would love a couple of those. Well, I think, for example, I think that we're going through an evolution of our perception of place-based economic development. Historically, and and up until fairly recently, actually, place-based economic development was primarily anchored in the business of real estate development. Uh, And we said, let's improve a place by improving the character of of the built environment. Let's move a a theater. Let's reopen a theater in a in a in an older neighborhood. Let's put up an office building in an open in in an older neighborhood. Uh, And so. My my evolution of place-based economic development is I think I now understand that place-based economic development is more than just real estate development. Real estate development is real easy. It's find the developer, get the financing, find the site. If they need a subsidy, give them a subsidy. But nothing improves the ability of that developer to attract a tenant than a strong local economy. I think this is also being impacted certainly by the uh, by the uh, the remote work. I, I don't think we yet know how remote work is going to play out. Uh, the pundits seem to say it's going to continue, but at some at some modified level. So the first thing I think the the, the evolution of place-based economic development is, has has changed over time. Uh, 
I think the nature of financing has changed over time to a direction that I really like, and that is to be much more of a partner with the private sector than to be a replacement of the private sector. Because uh, there's only so much money to go around. And I, I got started in, in financing. Again, I started with the National Development Council, which when I was there was primarily worked on, on economic development financing, and that was my forte. Uh, when we were doing it 20 years ago, it was get the government program and move it in. What we're now finding, we're starting to understand that the 90% of the capital uh, is going to be private sector capital. And what that means is we can target our resources to the area that needs help. I think another aspect of this, I think there's been an evolution in the role that government ought to play. It comes back to your question. Uh, and that is, I think there's starting to be an understanding that there are some circumstances in which the government may have to get ahead of the private sector. Let me correct, where economic development ha may have to get ahead of the private sector because of the imperfect market. Um, I've made plenty of mistakes myself. My first economic development deal actually was, was a ski resort in uh, northern Wisconsin uh, that wanted to... Uh, wanted to be both a winter and a spring and summer venue so they decided that they were going to they were going to put a, a professional uh, basketball uh, tennis courts up so they built the tennis courts we helped them get a, a loan from uh, USDA when the US Tennis Association came in they discovered that the tennis courts were 2 inches shorter than they needed to be for regulation play so the tennis court became a uh, a banquet hall that's back to my first lessons on details matter. Uh, and and the only way you figure that out, frankly, is, is through experience. I also think that the business of site selection is changing as site selectors are starting to catch up with the policymakers' discussion about sustainability and diversity and inclusion and, uh, and things like that. Northeast Ohio Team NEO, which is the Regional Economic Development Organization, and a nonprofit group called the Fund for the Economic Future have actually taken a first step to try to create that dialogue with the site selection community to say, wait a minute, we know you're going to make the decision, but we're going to give you the information that helps to make a central city or a closer insight better because we can show where the workforce is, we can show where the housing is, we can improve the transit system. As opposed to just being a pure real estate play. So Yeah. I mean, I think there's the, the, the site selection business is pretty set in its ways. Uh, and I know many site selectors, and I don't know any of them who are trying to do a number on a community. But their response is to the company looking for the site. This is one of the opportunities for economic development to catch up with corporate America. I was talking with one of the people from one of our Northeast Ohio partners, and he said they decided to get into this not because, gee, it was a good thing to do, but the corporate world was starting to talk about the environment, sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and they said we can use their interest to help drive better decisions locally. Fascinating. Well, Mark, this has been excellent. You've given us so much. Your 30 years of experience, it just sort of pours out. You, I'd love to just pick your brain for days. I, I have, I mean, the truth is I have had the both the luxury and the good fortune of having done economic development at many different levels. And 
that plus a supportive family. My wife, my wife is in the next room, and she has been supportive of me for the my entire career. Has given me the opportunity to see economic development from many, many different places: local, state, federal, nonprofit, political, non-political, uh, you name it. Uh, and so, hopefully, I'm in a position to try to give back to the profession while I still keep 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 sane by continuing to do stuff in the field. I understand the the business of retirement, but I also think that people need to need to have their uh, their mind constantly refreshed and 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 do things that kind of both are both satisfying personally uh, as well as uh, help their community. Well. Like I said, you're an excellent resource. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way for them to do that is probably uh, through my email, which I'm sure you'll provide to them. I will. Uh, and uh, I'm always happy to take phone calls. So you have my you have my cell number. I'm happy to have folks uh, folks uh, call me directly. Uh, and, and I'm always happy to help out. I mean, at an absolute minimum, I'm going to know someone who can help you if I don't know anything about the topic. And I think, you know, I, I think the, 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 the work that you're doing, and then you can decide whether you include this. I absolutely love both your job postings, email and the happenings around the country. That is a real asset to someone who's very busy to say, I need to keep up to date on what else is going on in the world. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that's exactly why I do it. I felt like we were missing that. How, uh, how, how do you, that's a lot of time. I mean, I've, I've, I've done that. Yes. Um, so I have a search that runs and so a list of articles and then I kind of go through them and I have a system. I built an automated tool to help out a little bit. Um, but no, it's a real chore to go through and find everybody and, find the organizations and it's getting easier, but it is a huge thing. And, and I, and it, you're right. People, people love it. People definitely love it when they're in it, but, yeah, that's uh, right. but people also like it to see what's going on. Well, w- one of the things, I mean, over time, I spent a few years working with CDFA with council of development finance agencies, mm-hmm. which is here located in Columbus. They have the absolute best library of documents and programs about anything relevant to bonds or tax increment financing or tax credits. Uh, and I love to see them. I love to see IDC looking at the same space. It's not just the information. It's kind of the resource to help a local community. Give me a template for a TIF law in my state. Oh, right. Right. Exactly. So that's, re- that, that's, that's really valuable information to folks. Excellent. And that's, oh, that's why the networking is so darn important. I mean, your best network is your next door neighbor in economic development. Right. And theirs is the same. It's their next door neighbor and their next door neighbor. No, that's exactly right. And one of the things that's been interesting over the years, I mean, there's not a lot of discussion these days about competition for deals because the smart communities have figured out, I don't know whether you call them non-compete agreements or non-aggression packs uh, to kind of say, our competition is not the community next door. Our competition is Indianapolis, it's Austin, it's Japan, it's Asia, and we're all better off for that. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed this. Thank you for uh, reaching out.
Yeah, we'll have to do this again. We'll have to follow up again in the future. Happy to do that. Happy to do that. Now, where, where are you located? I am in Galveston, Texas. All right. Yeah. I've been to Texas, but only once or twice. I've been down to Austin, uh, been to uh, Houston, uh, made the, this will really date me, made the, the Lyndon Johnson history tour. Oh, sure. So <laughs> we went to where he got married. We went to the University of Austin. We went to the incredibly imposing Johnson Library. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's this. I ha- that's, you know, I haven't been to that one. It's, it's, I it's, mean, a, I mean, it's a monolith. Sorry. It's like it's like a bomb shelter. It's just this great big huge building. But when you get inside, it's really interesting. Well, we've been making a point to to go to presidential libraries. We just went to the Clinton Presidential Library a month ago. Oh, what was that like? What was that like? Well, um, it was a very beautiful building, and it told a very nice story about Bill Clinton. It was not at all how I remember the '90s, but yeah, um, it was a very nice story about Bill Clinton, and and it made him look made him look good. Yeah, yeah. I one of the things. I mean, we've been to the the Clinton Library and and of course the Kennedy Library. And what's really interesting, particularly about the Kennedy Library in Boston, is that their whole they're spending lots of time looking at the other side of John Kennedy, not personally, but all of the issues that kind of right. popped up, particularly Vietnam. Uh, a lot of these libraries are developing a, an academic rigor that I I think I think is a real plus for for history. Well, I don't think the Clinton Library is there yet, but it'll, you know, <laughs> it it usually it, it usually takes the 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 passing away of the, yes. of, the of the of the president to to have the guts to go a little bit further there. Well, good to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, reach reach out anytime. I, anything I can help with, just let me know. I will. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.